demon. The model farm spread across a deep window ledge consisted of the usual animals, but all facing one way, towards their owner, as if about to break into song. And even the farmyard hens were neatly corralled. In fact, Bryony's was the only tidy upstairs room in the house. A straight-backed dolls in their many-roomed mansion appeared to be under strict instructions not to touch the walls. The various thumb-sized figures to be found standing about her dressing table, cowboys, deep-sea divers, humanoid mice, suggested by their even ranks and spacing, a citizen's army awaiting orders. A taste for the miniature was one aspect of an orderly spirit. Another was a passion for secrets. In a prized, varnished cabinet, a secret drawer was opened by pushing against the grain of a cleverly turned dovetail joint and here she kept a diary, locked by a clasp, and a notebook written in a code of her own invention. In a toy safe opened by six secret numbers, she stored letters and postcards. An old tin petty cash box was hidden under a removable floorboard beneath her bed. In the box were treasures that dated back four years to her ninth birthday when she began collecting. A mutant double acorn, fool's gold, a rain-making spell bought at a funfair, a squirrel's skull as light as a leaf. But hidden drawers, lockable diaries, and cryptographic systems could not conceal from Bryony the simple truth. She had no secrets. Her wish for a harmonious, organized world denied her the reckless possibilities of wrongdoing. Mayhem and destruction were too chaotic for her tastes, and she did not have it in her to be cruel. Her effective status as an only child, as well as the relative isolation of the Tallis house, kept her, at least during the long summer holidays, from girlish intrigues with friends. Nothing in her life was sufficiently interesting or shameful to merit hiding. No one knew about the squirrel's skull beneath her bed, but no one wanted to know. None of this was particularly an affliction, or rather, it appeared so only in retrospect, once a solution had been found. At the age of eleven, she wrote her first story, a foolish affair, imitative of half a dozen folk tales, and lacking, she realised later, that vital knowingness about the ways of the world which compels a reader's respect. But this first clumsy attempt showed her that the imagination itself was a source of secrets. Once she had begun a story, no one could be told. Pretending in words was too tentative, too vulnerable, too embarrassing to let anyone know. Even writing out the she-saids and the and-thens made her wince, and she felt foolish, appearing to know about the emotions of an imaginary being. Self-exposure was inevitable the moment she described a character's weakness. The reader was bound to speculate that she was describing herself. What other authority could she have? Only when a story was finished, all fates resolved and the whole matter sealed off at both ends, so it resembled, at least in this one respect, every other finished story in the world, could she feel immune and ready to punch holes in the margins, bind the chapters with pieces of string, paint or draw the cover, and take the finished work to show to her mother or her father when he was home. Her efforts received encouragement. In fact, they were welcomed as the Talises began to understand that the baby of the family possessed a strange mind and a facility with words. The long afternoon she spent browsing through dictionary and thesaurus made for constructions that were inept, but hauntingly so. The coins a villain concealed in his pocket were esoteric, 
a hoodlum caught stealing a car wept in shameless auto-exculpation. The heroine on her thoroughbred stallion made a cursory journey through the night. The king's furrowed brow was the hieroglyph of his displeasure. Bryony was encouraged to read her stories aloud in the library, and it surprised her parents and older sister to hear their quiet girl perform so boldly, making big gestures with her free arm, arching her eyebrows as she did the voices, and looking up from the page for seconds at a time as she read, in order to gaze into one face after the other, unapologetically demanding her family's total attention as she cast her narrative spell. Even without their attention and praise and obvious pleasure, Bryony could not have been held back from her writing. In any case, she was discovering, as had many writers before her, that not all recognition is helpful. Cecilia's enthusiasm, for example, seemed...